All right. Happy Sabbath. What a blessed Sabbath it is with all this great music and the bells. We are truly blessed. Amen. And now to the Word of God, which I'm excited about today. Jesus welcomes you, and we welcome you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today that we have your holy word, your powerful word, the word that both created all things and by which all things consist. So send forth your word today. You promise that as the rain and the snow fall, and they don't just return to the heavens, but they water the ground, giving seed to the sower and then bread to the eater, so shall your word be that goes forth from your mouth. It will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. Be pleased to be glorified, be honored, and exalted through your word today. Take the human instrument out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the place... Better turn this on first. Try that. Oh, this side. The place was Davos, Switzerland. This was in January of this year, just not long ago, January 2020. And the event was the World Economic Forum. But the agenda was this, as Time Magazine put it, a global reset, AKA or code for a new world order. And this great reset, would be a political economic reset, although it would have a religious overtone or undertone to it also. The papacy was not there, but a representative was and spoke there. But we don't have to guess where the papacy is at on this. Laudato Si was his second encyclical, and in that encyclical he called for swift and unified global action to care for our common home, Mother Earth. What are we talking about here? We're talking about massive socialist programs, including universal living wage, and of course the global climate change initiatives. As Time Magazine put it, the Green New Deal on steroids. The regulations, completely unrealistic, draconian, over-the-top, unbelievable, unkeepable in order to continue to have a world going forward. And maybe, just maybe, in there somewhere, a law saying that you can't do anything on Sunday, that would be very believable at this point. Now, I don't know what you're thinking about what took place there, but here's my thoughts. In my mind, this is leading us to trust ourselves and trust the created instead of the creator. Of course, if any nation were to opt out, the whole world would be in trouble or worse than in trouble, according to Jeffrey Sachs, a Economist that works with Bernie Sanders, works with the papacy. According to George Soros, who said that the U.S. was a danger 
to the whole world. Now, this may sound political to some of you, but it's just what is going on in the nation and in the world, so I hope you'll take it in that way. So everybody there is there, and Davos, beautiful Davos, and all these leaders are there, and everybody is on the same page, except, except for one nation, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Our nation said, not interested, not in this kind of globalism. We're interested in the nature and sustaining it and making our air and water even better, but not what you're proposing. This is a quote then from our president. We have every desire to preserve God's creation, but to embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial prophets of doom and their prediction or predictions of the apocalypse. They just keep popping up. 1960, 1970, everybody's got a story. The end of the world is here. Well, the end of the world is here, but not in the way that they're proclaiming it. He goes on to say, they are heirs of yesterday's foolish fortune tellers. These alarmists always demand the same thing. And listen to this carefully. What do they demand? Absolute power to dominate, transform, and control every aspect of our lives. We will never let radical socialists destroy our economy, wreck our country, or eradicate our liberty. America will always be the proud, strong, unyielding bastion of freedom. Oh, that that would be true, amen? Oh, that that would be true. That's from Davos. This is from the UN speech, which would have taken place sometime previous to that. Again, President Trump saying this, wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country first. The future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. Well, how long will it be? True that America will be this bastion of freedom. This is clicking somehow. We don't know, but we do know that this isn't just all conspiracy theory. There may be some conspiracy in it, but it's conspiracy fact, not theory. And I've got to share with you this amazing letter. God has his people in every church, amen? amen. Including the Roman Catholic Church, amen? including a Roman Catholic archbishop, maybe? Absolutely. Here is one, Archbishop Vagano. He's from Italy. And he, this wasn't even a month ago, October 25th, 2020, writes this letter to President Trump. And you gotta hear this. Allow me to address you at this hour in which the fate of the whole world is being threatened by a global conspiracy against God and humanity. Interesting, I, I read this this week and then I was reading the, um, the Last Warning, which is a chapter in The Great Controversy. And if you read this guy's letter and you read that, it kind of is like, whoa, they kind of overlap. So this, what we're going through now, I would say is 
Have you ever, ever heard, you know, on the radio when they do the test of the emergency broadcasting system, this is a test and only a test. Well, I will tell you this, this is a test, but it's not only a test. <laughs> it's much more than a test. And praise God for his love for us in order to give us these tests, amen, to give us this run through. It's like, I'm not sure if my people are ready. I'm going to give them absolutely everything they need and facts along the way for what's coming next, which is, of course, Global National Sunday Law. We know that. But he says the fate of the whole world is being threatened by a global conspiracy. That book, Great Controversy, that chapter says, fearful is the issue with which the world is to be brought. He goes on to say this, daily we sense the attacks multiplying of those who want to destroy the very basis of society. What is that? Bishop, what do you uh, say that is, Archbishop? The natural family, respect for human life, love of country, freedom of education and business. We see heads of nations and religious leaders pandering to this suicide of Western culture and its Christian soul. While the fundamental rights of citizens and believers are denied in the name of a health emergency that is revealing itself more and more fully as instrumental. So he's not saying there isn't a health issue going on, but he's saying this is being used as an instrument, revealing itself more and more fully as instrumental to the establishment of an inhumane, faceless tyranny. A global plan called the Great Reset. Time magazine doesn't think that's conspiracy theory. It's right on their cover. Is underway. In several nations, plans have already been approved and financed. In others, it is still at an early stage. The purpose of this Great Reset is the imposition of a health dictatorship. I thought that was super interesting. A health dictatorship. Now, we are right in the center of this as Seventh-day Adventists, and we in Battle Creek are right in the center of this because it was right here at the sanitarium where when the first call to come out of Babylon, that's what we're getting to here, the three angels' messages, was in the 18, middle 1800s, late 1800s, and at that same time, God was raising up a health system that would be using his methods and following him and giving glory to him. That was right here in Battle Creek, the Battle Creek Sanitarium. At the same time, give or take, Harvard University, not using God's methods and not giving glory to him. And so there's been a great health controversy going on. But this is interesting that he would call it, what he called it, a health dictatorship says it's aiming at the imposition of liberticidal measures. I had to look that up. That is, liberal measures. <clears throat> the price of these concessions from the International Monetary Fund, oh yeah, they'll pay for it, but what's the price? Will be the renunciation of private property and adherence to a program of vaccination against, and again, this is this, Archbishop's letter, so you take it with a read of salt, a grain of salt, go and read it, research it yourself, but he says this. Adherence to a program of vaccination against COVID-19 
and COVID-21. Now, that's interesting. I haven't heard of COVID-21 yet, but he thinks there will be one. Does he know something? I don't know. But I will say something about this vaccination because it is also very close to home. (laughs) Pfizer's right here in our backyard. And do your research also on the vaccination. Um, This is not the normal vaccination where they stick you with um, part of the disease that's supposed to be either weakened or dead. Sometimes it's not, and that causes even more problems. But it's not that. Now they're sticking you with a strand of synthetic RNA or messenger RNA, which then will tell the cells to do what it would have done if they had stuck you with the little bit of the disease. I'll just say the jury's still out on this new method of vaccination. Um, I hope and pray that it is everything that they expect it to be. They say it's 90% effective. That is in a very controlled situation. So just my thoughts on that. Take it or leave it. But he's talking about a vaccination against COVID-19 and 21 with the collaboration of the main pharmaceutical groups beyond the enormous, sorry, enormous economic interests that motivate the promoters of the Great Reset. And this will make the iPhone craze and the money made on the iPhones look super small. The money that's involved here is massive. Goes on to say the imposition of the vaccine will be accompanied by the requirement of a health passport and a digital ID with the consequent contact tracing of the population of the entire world. Well, we don't believe in contact tracing, do we? Have you tried to go to a restaurant lately? (laughs) I was in the pie place. What is the name of that place? It's amazing. Don't eat there often, but oh, those pies are tremendous. Anyway, in Kalamazoo and Portage, and I can't think of the name of it. Anyway, you have to, if you sit down in a restaurant now, you know what you got to do, right? Write down your name. I mean, I guess... Who would know? I don't know if they check your ID or not, but you have to write down your name and address and maybe phone number. Contact tracing is happening. I'll tell you something else. Davos City, not to be confused with Davos, Switzerland. Davos City is in Mindanao, southern part of an island in the Philippines. They are already requiring a QR code from everyone in order to travel about the country. So I think in the past we would have thought, this is, what has Pastor been doing this week? But um, I think since February to where we are now, we're looking at this and saying, I don't think any of this is unbelievable. In fact, I think most of this is quite believable. He goes on to say this, those who do not accept these measures will be confined in detention camps, placed under house arrest, and all their assets will be confiscated. Remember, this is a test, but not only a test. That book, Great Controversy, says this, those who refuse to honor the Sunday Sabbath, we're not there yet, but this is a test. Those who refuse to honor the Sunday Sabbath will be thrust into prison, some will be exiled, some will be treated as slaves. Again, you read this and you read that chapter, it's like, whoa. Interesting. Mr. President, I imagine that you are already aware that in some countries the Great Reset will be activated between the end of this year and the first trimester of 2021. 
For this purpose, further lockdowns are planned, which will be officially justified by a supposed second and third wave of the pandemic. You are well aware of the means that have been deployed to sow panic and legitimize draconian limitations on individual liberties, artfully provoking a worldwide economic crisis. In the intention of its architects, this crisis will serve to make the recourse of nations to the great reset irreversible. No turning back. It says this in closing, until a few months ago, it would have been <clears throat> easy to smear as conspiracy theorists, those who denounce these terrible plans, which now we see coming to pass in every minute detail. Interesting, that book, The Great Controversy, that chapter, the prediction, again, this is a test, the prediction that religious intolerance would gain control in the U.S. have been denounced as groundless and absurd. Mere alarmists, they would call us. Not anymore. Not anymore. You know, the only answer, I hope that we've all come to the realization that the only thing we can trust in this world is Jesus. Amen? God is the only thing to hold on to. He is our great shield. He is the portion of our inheritance. He is our everything. And it must be so. And it will be so. And he's helping us to make it so. The three angels' messages. We looked at Revelation, and we saw that Revelation is a book of grace from beginning to end. We saw the bookends of grace. This is review now from last week. The historical events, the end events, and right there in the middle is the three angels' message. But in a tighter context, you have second coming bookends, right? Because you have the 144,000, which are the last people that are alive, translated, uh, to meet the Lord in the heaven. And on the other side, you have the harvest. The sickle is put in. So you have the second coming and those who are ready. Right in the middle, you have the three angels' messages. We have saw it. We've read it last week and this week again. And at the heart of it, the first message is the everlasting gospel. To go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, we saw that the true gospel deals with the redemption, past, present, and future. What God did in the past, he did for the whole human race. You wouldn't be alive right now if it wasn't for the grace of Christ and for that great gift. And so when we see the great love of Christ, his death for us there, when anyone sees it, then hopefully they make the next step and they go from this is what Christ did for all men outside of them, to accepting it by faith. That's justification by faith. That's when justification and faith meet and there's a powerful thing that happens in our lives. It's like dynamite, the Bible says, the power that comes in when Christ is brought into our lives by faith. Aha, I've, I've found this ticking thing. 
So then there's that, but that's not the end. We still have this nature that is polluted with sin. But Christ, God is going to take care of that too, amen? The very pollution of sin, the very presence of sin will finally be done away with. That's what we call glorification. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. And then the end will come. He will thrust in the sickle and he will reap and he will harvest and we will be with our Lord forever. The everlasting gospel is called everlasting for that very reason. It is everlasting. The plan of salvation was not an afterthought. It wasn't like God said, hmm, now there's sin down there. What should I do? Should I send my son? No, 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 no. From the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, the plan, two everlasting parties, the father and the son came together and planned exactly what to do in case sin happened. And when sin happened, Christ stood between the living and the dead and said, let the punishment fall on me. Otherwise, Adam and Eve were bye-bye, right? In the day you eat thereof, you shall what? Surely die, right? Did they die? You say, well, they began to die. No, 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 no. They should have died. <laughs> they should have died the second death. But they did not because Christ stepped between the living and the dead. The gospel is everlasting. It was not an afterthought. Now, the devil is super happy if he can get you in either ditch off to the side of the true gospel, right? That ditch which believes that you are saved by your own merits. Oh, even if Christ does most of the work, but you get some part of it, oh, that'll be just fine with you because you, it's just good for our, <laughs> for our selfish nature, right? To think that we did part of this. I mean, part of this was me. I mean, I get some credit somewhere. So that's one ditch. The other ditch is that you will be saved in your sins, that you can just go on and on and on sinning, and Jesus comes, and you know, yeah, he covers everything. Well, that's not the gospel either. But the papacy is prepared for both of those classes to just bring them right in. And they'll open the net and widen the net to get as many as possible. By the way, this is not about people. I work with, I collaborate with, not on a church level, but through Rotary in various places, some wonderful, wonderful Catholic people. This is not, a, I mean, look at that Roman Catholic archbishop. I mean, that guy is spot on. So this is not about people. It's about a system. It's about a theology that is behind a system. The papacy is prepared for two classes of mankind embracing nearly the whole world. Those who would be saved Where's David when I need him? David, are you here? Hey, come, come remove this thing from behind my head, would you? <laughs> that clip, just take that thing right off of there. Thank you, thank you. All right. So two classes here, right? Two classes of mankind embracing nearly the whole world. Those who would be saved by their merits, we're going to spend a little more time on this again, and those who would be saved in their sins. Now look at the last slide. Here is what? The secret of what? Of his power. Interesting. By bringing in the world through one of these two classes. 
Well, we read this last week, and we're going to read it again because it says nothing should be repeated more frequently. There's not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in the minds of all. Now, with that build up, something's coming, right? What is it? Then the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works on your best day. Your works are what? Filthy rags. Sorry to tell you, but I think you already know. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Come on and say amen if that's good news. It's the only good news there is, my friends. Let the subject be made plain and distinct that it is not possible to affect anything in our standing before God or in the gift of God to us through creature merit. Should faith and works, well, yeah, faith and works, surely that is some merit for me. No, it's not. Should faith and works purchase the gift of salvation for anyone, then look what would happen. The creator would be under obligation to who? To the creature. You owe me, God. Huh, interesting. I've done so many good works. you, You owe me this. Huh. The creator would be under obligation to the creature. Wow. If any man can merit salvation by anything he can do, then he is the same position as the Catholic to do penance for his sin. How much is this going to cost me, God? I've got my checkbook out. No. Salvation, then, is partly of debt and that may be earned as wages. But... If man cannot, by any of his good works, merit salvation, then it must be holy of grace. It is holy, a free gift. Justification by faith is placed beyond controversy. It's a free gift received by man as a sinner because he receives and believes Jesus. That's what Paul said in Timothy. He said, For this we both labor and suffer reproach. We work our fingers to the bone. We don't care what people call us because of this. Because we trust in the living God who's the savior of all men, but especially those that believe. So there's a sense in which he saved or redeemed the race. But oh, there's a special sense in which believers partake of that relationship with God and the power that comes through that. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, for the sins of the whole world. If man cannot, by any of his own good works, merit salvation, then it must be holy of grace, received by man as a sinner because he receives and believes Jesus. It is holy, a free gift. Here is where the problem comes in with the gospel. This is why the gospel is an offense to people, to good, upstanding people that look great on the outside. Because you can't see pride on the outside, can you? The proud heart strives to earn salvation, but both our title for and our fitness to, let me read that again, our fitness for, for it, <clears throat> both our title to heaven and our fitness for it are found where? In the righteousness of Christ. Both are. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery 
of man until convinced of what? His own weakness. That's where the rubber hits the road. Are you convinced that you can't do this and only God can? I think many of you are, maybe all of you are. But until we're convinced of our own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency, every mouth is stopped, as Paul would say in Romans. He yields himself to the control of God. Then, then things can happen. Then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow. And what a gift it is. Listen to this. From the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. How much is withheld? Nothing is withheld. He has unrestricted access to him in whom all fullness dwells, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Wow. If we'll just say, Lord, I need you 100%. I can't do 1%. I need you 100%. Jesus, you lived that perfect life on earth, and when you did, you did it by faith. And now you're offering me that perfect life, that perfect faith, the faith of Jesus. I accept, I surrender to it. All of a sudden you have unrestricted access to him in whom all fullness dwells. Sounds like a life of victory to me. Of course, on the other end or on the same end, Christ shall save his people from their sins. When he came, he isn't just our example, right? And this is a, a very... This sort of in Christ motif is very kind of hard to get a handle on, especially in our Western individual culture. But he not only became one of us, he became us. It's as if he took the whole human race into himself and won the victory. So the victory is already yours in Christ for the taking, for the asking, for the receiving and this thing of grace, we think of grace as unmerited favor, which it totally is, but grace has a power to it, right? Even as sin reigned, when grace reigns, it reigns much more. As dominant as sin was or is or can be in our lives, so much the more will grace, when it reigns in our lives, be dominant and give power to the life to show love to the world because that's what the world is needing to see. And that's what God is wanting to do through us. Now the faith response. We got here last week, we're here again. And we're gonna get through this part this time. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, that's one text I think you should probably turn to. You have your Bibles, very important. <clears throat> because it gives the motive behind what we do. We're going to look at that text. We're going to look at Hebrews 11:13, which gives a succinct, a broad view of this thing called faith. Because you have this gospel that Christ did, that God did, that God planned and did, and he did it outside of you. But then when faith connects with that gospel or with justification, amazing things can take place, amazing transformations. And it's the love of Christ that compels us or constrains us. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge or we are convinced of this. That if one died for all, this is that corporate concept I was just sharing with you, then we're all dead. What? I understand one died for all, but 
all were dead. How were we dead? We were dead in him. It's the in Christ motif that Paul uses many times in many places. And then verse 15, what, did that, what, what does that actually do to us? Or what should it do to us? And what was his plan for it? Verse 15, and that he died for all, so he did this, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died and rose for them. So his goal is for you to live seeing this agape love, to be constrained, motivated, going forward, to give your all for him. All right, go with me to Hebrews chapter 11 because I want to show you a composite picture of what faith is. Faith is believing in the word of God. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. But I think verse 13 gives us the best composite picture that I've seen anywhere in one verse. By the way, on that love constraining us, the sinner may resist this love, may refuse to be drawn to Christ, but if he does not resist, he will be drawn to Jesus. Now, Hebrews 11, verse 13, this is, of course, the hall of the faithful, the delineation of all the faithful throughout the ages. And then in verse 13, it says this, These all died in faith, having not received the promises. So they haven't received the promises, but they have seen them afar off. And that's the first thing I think that happens with faith. You must see something. Something must be presented. It might be someone's life. It might be something in the Bible, but it might be just someone's life. It's like, wow, that person's living a life of faith. So first, you must, it must be seen. They have seen them afar off, and then we're persuaded. So that's an intellectual appreciation of what's been done. That may come first. It comes first here after seeing. It may come after the heart uh, gets um, embraced the message first. It, it, it works different with different people. But I think all these elements are, are to be there. So you see it. You, persu- you are persuaded. That is, your mind says yes to this. This is all part of faith. And then your heart embraces it. And then faith goes to work. Because then you confess that you are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And it's not by going around telling people. It's by living like it. Here's a quote on faith. Where there is not only a belief in God's word, that's definitely part of it, not putting that down, not only a belief in God's word, but a submission of the will to him, where the heart is yielded to him, the affections fixed upon him, there is faith. Faith that works by love and purifies the soul. Remember, faith also is a gift. So all this is what God is wanting to give. And it's so, eventually his character, his name, his seal can be put on our foreheads, right? The frontal lobe and his character is love. That's what God is looking for in his church today and that's what he will find. Now I think we can get through this much at least. Fear God and then we'll stop there. 
So as we're looking on now to verse 7, we're back in Revelation 14. And verse 7, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Next week, you'll want to not miss next week because next week we're going to, I'll just give it to you now. Second Peter chapter 3 is the only other text I know of. It's around the... Verse 5, maybe or so. Read the whole chapter. Uh, the only other place I know of where in a last day, a clearly a last day context, both creation and the flood are talked about in clearly a last day context. If you know of another one, let me know. But we'll look at both of those next time because when you put down creation, creation actually is the same or the flip side of redemption. So every time you say, ah, oh, I don't believe in creation, you're basically also saying, I don't believe in redemption. We'll look at that next week also. But what does it mean to fear God? Because we think of the word fear most often as to what? Be afraid of, right? And if you're afraid of somebody, you're usually repulsed from them, right? You just don't want to be anywhere near them. This fear is the exact opposite. This fear is something that's drawing you to him. Fear God. Be drawn to him. And I'm going to give you two texts as we close. They're both in Deuteronomy 10. These are some of the best that I, some of my favorites. There's lots of texts. Job feared God, but it wasn't pushing him away from God. This is a fear that's actually drawing you to them. Deuteronomy 10 12 and 13, even in the English language, right? Fear can mean different things. Words can mean various things. But in the Hebrew or in the Greek, many times there, there's many different shades of meaning along the way. And we'll see some of those here. So I think what we have here is Hebrew parallelism. And so these are all corresponding things and parts of fear. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? This is Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his way. So to fear him is also to walk in his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord. So these are all different shades of great meaning of this same concept of fear. To fear, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul to keep the commandments of the Lord thy God. All this is fear, this concept of fear. And his statutes, which I command you this day, which are for your good. Sometimes we don't look at the commandments that way, but that's exactly why they were given to us. And then verse 20 and 21, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. There it is again. And to him you shall hold fast, or the King James, I think, says cling. Cling to him. That's what this fear means, to love him, to obey him, to serve him, to, to hold on to him. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Do you fear God today? I hope you do in this way. <laughs> Fear God and give glory to him. In the last days, which we're in, and actually this is true probably throughout 
uh, all the days, there is at least two places that glory can go, right? There's only one place that it belongs. It belongs to him. Glory belongs to him. But we can place glory in him or faith in him also or um, uh, trust in him or we can trust in self. We can trust in other men. We can glory in other men. We can glory in self or in the created. But Christ is the one that deserves all glory. Amen? And I'll close with this slide. We'll talk more about the glory next week and more, of course, about this fall of Babylon because I think it's more than just a religious system that falls. We'll look at that. But we have two choices as we leave today. Fear God or fear man. Glorify God or glorify man. Obey God or obey man. Receive and relish in God's righteousness. Or muddle around in our own self-righteousness. Can have faith in God, the faith of Jesus, or we can stay with unbelief. I want to be on the left side of all those. How about you? Or it's, it's on the left side on mine, right? Fearing God, giving glory to God, obeying Him. We do that through receiving His righteousness through the faith of Jesus. Let's pray as we close. Oh, Father of ours, we live in a cold, unfeeling world. And a world that doesn't seem to care about others or anything, but there are agendas being put forward which are dangerous. And Lord, in the end, the devil would like to get us off track one way or another. He doesn't care how he does it. But may we not get off track. May we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And Lord, make us people of faith, of the faith of Jesus, that we are responding. Uh, salvation is from faith to faith, our reciprocating faith to his faith. But may we learn how to exercise the faith of Jesus, that is to believe in others. That great book, Education, tells us that if we wish to do good to souls, our greatest success will be found in their belief, in our belief, and appreciation of them. Oh Lord, do we believe in others and appreciate others? And does it show from our actions and our words and our thoughts? It should, Lord, and we want it to, so forgive us if it hasn't. Make us people of the faith of Jesus in these last days. We thank you, and to God be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.